Welcome back to the Savage Land. I'm Jason. I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. And today we have another creator interview. This is a guy whose name you've probably seen all over the place in uh, the last few years, uh, namely from a huge debut comic from, I think it debuted two or three months ago, uh, might have heard of it, called Luke Cage. Uh, and there's also uh, a, a huge other body of work, including Power Man and Iron Fist, uh, the Army of Dr. Moreau, uh, I mean, Cyborg, Occupy Avengers, Nighthawk, Shaft, War for the Planet of the Apes, all sorts of stuff. Uh, you probably know his name already. It's David F. Walker. Welcome to the show, David. Oh, thank you for having me. Nope. Thanks for having me in the Savage Land. <laughs> it, it, it makes me think of Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully uh, we won't get quite as savage as uh, as the people in New York today. But you never know; it could happen. Or did oh, I say I, New York? I meant Newark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, the, the the Newark savagery is all. It's uh, a word. How do I put it? It's all a lot of hype. They're all a bunch of pussy cats in New Jersey, especially Newark. <laughs> oh, shots fired! Wow. Are you? So does that mean you're a New York man? I I I I, I the the. We, they call it the tri-state area in New York, yeah. New Jersey, Connecticut. I, I lived in all three. Oh, so I don't, I don't, I don't play favorites. <laughs> Although, if 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 a, if a gun were held to my head, Connecticut would be the last state that I would choose of the three. But um, wow. they they all have their merits, I guess. Well, no, I'm lying. Connecticut doesn't have any merits, but. Um, <laughs> I got to make a, a a confession here. I never knew that Connecticut was the third tri-state area state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, New, New Jersey and Connecticut are just kind of parts of them, anyway. At least like south uh, southwestern Connecticut, and and then the eastern part of New Jersey, the northeastern part, are you know they're kind of like just the glorified suburbs of New York, really. I mean, sure. that's I I know more people who who quote unquote live in New York, but they actually live in either like, you know, Jersey City or Stamford, Connecticut or something mm. like that. So it's almost like the the two places are like New York's cargo pants in a way. Exactly. <laughs> Just or their <laughs> underwear. New York or New York's underwear. Got it. Perfect. That's I, I'm I'm glad that the uh, all the listeners from Connecticut can know exactly how uh, how we feel about them. I'm just kidding. They're probably great people, but like probably not. Well, they they it's not you guys. It's me. I'm the <laughs> one, and I'll 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 tell them to their face. Anyone from Connecticut, I'll tell them. I, I live there. I, I'm there at least a couple times a year visiting family. So oh. I, I know the deal. Man, I, I don't. I, I have no. <clears throat> I know the places that I can knock, and I know the places that I'll <laughs> champion and. And that's just how it goes. And if and, and again, like I said, the, the rules, standard rules apply. If you want to discuss it, you know, just <laughs> meet me at a convention, and we can either settle it like you know, sophisticated folks, or we can step outside, and I'll um, <laughs> I'll show you my moves. You'll handle it like a badass mofo, if you will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that was a David F. Walker joke. If uh, for those keeping track, just uh, put that one up on the <laughs> on the tally. Um, so. Like, uh, Play out bingo. You got bingo set up for everybody at home. Yeah, exactly. They they all they were all informed of the rules before we started the show. They have their boards, okay. and so if they're filling it out, they can follow along. Um, exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of the tri-state area, so where where did you grow up originally, or where did you spend most of your sort of formative years uh, out of those three states, or if it was any of them? Uh, that I guess it depends on what you define as your formative years, because mine started really early. I was just one of those weird kids. So, mm. um, boy genius. I was, 
I, I was I was in Connecticut till I was about twelve, and then um, and then my mom got a job in Portland, Oregon, and so we moved to Portland when I was in junior high, mm. and and the formative years were spent sort of jumping back and forth because I would spend my summers in Connecticut with my grandparents, which inevitably inevitably meant I was spending a good chunk of my summers in New York City because it was just a, a train ride away. Yeah. into the city like in about an hour and 15 minute train ride so um you know this was this was a time when you know kids just ran wild in the streets and i was one of those kids so <laughs> i would i would the summers i would hop on the train and go into new york city and spend time at like the um at the at the video arcades in you know in and around times square which i was you know too young and too naive to know that um that it was actually a bunch of like you know pimps you know <laughs> like trying to trying to get score runaways and, and 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 put them out on the track yeah um and and you know my cousins and i would go to uh head down into the village to uh forbidden planet which i i don't even know if it's still there or not anymore um but forbidden planet and tower records oh, yeah. and places like that and there's a there's a ton of record stores in and around Times square so there was you know like my I guess what you would call my formative years were were spent really jumping back and forth a lot between between Portland, which at the time in the early '80s it seemed like Portland was was stuck in like 1974, <laughs> and then and then New York, which was like you know everything was going on. This was the the early days of hip hop and um, not so much the early days of punk rock because that was sort of you know that kind of lived and died in 1978 or 79, but yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was it, it was a it, those formative years were were really weird for me because um, <laughs> I would like come back from a, a summer with my grandparents and my cousins and you know like have all these musical references that a lot of people here in Portland hadn't even caught up on yet you know so yeah uh, yeah so I was I was I was a bi coastal young oh, man. Y- youngster coming of age as it were. You're, you're East Coast, West Coast, and about as East Coast and almost as West Coast as it can really get. That's uh, that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. What so and and you live in Portland now, right? Was there like yep. was there like a reason that uh, that you went back out there? Like, was there something that drew you back out to the uh, to the Northwest? Yeah, you know, part of the, really the big part of it was um, in the in the mid '90s. My mom's health just started getting, you know what not as good as it could be mm. just as happens with, with, with folks. And, um, and, and so I just decided it was time to, to settle down in one place by the, by the mid nineties, I was, I was really jumping. It was, it was almost like a triangle of, of Portland, LA and New York. And I was going back and forth between three. And, and when I say New York, I, I really, I, I, in that regard, I really do mean the tri-state area cause <laughs> at that point, like, um, like my cousin was, uh, he was living in Jersey city. And so, you know, going to New York's meant pretty much living in Jersey city with my cousin, um, or with one, either my cousin in Jersey city or one of my cousins in Connecticut and then spending like as much time as I could in Manhattan. Mm. And, um, and then, and then LA sort of factored itself in there. And, Damn. and I would just, you know, there's, there's sort of this rolling, uh, you know, rolling stone, gathers no moss sort of mentality and and i didn't have any one place i wanted to live yeah um but then but then again like i said then my mom's 
started having more problems with their health and 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 I, and I, I have no siblings, so it was like, okay, well, someone's got to just kind of be there for mom, and you know, there's <laughs> ain't nobody else. So yeah, um, and and that was, and I was just, I was just getting old enough where it was like, it was kind of tiring that that um, that that lifestyle of not really having a fixed address and um, and and constantly living on you know either someone's guest bedroom or, or more often than not it was like a really lumpy futon <laughs> and uh and and this is a little known fact but there comes a point where you you reach an age where you physically can no longer sleep on a futon really it's, it's yeah your body will yep. just <laughs> yeah I've, I've been completely there rebel against you and be like yo this is it you're done <laughs> uh you know you and it's and it's there's almost no warning it's just like you wake up one morning and you you go, what the hell happened? And your body just says, uh, yeah, uh, excuse me, no more futons. <laughs> you, um, if you try this one more time, we will, it'll make it impossible for you to walk and you, and you, you don't believe it. <laughs> so you try one more time. And then the next morning it takes you, it takes you like five hours to get out of, off that futon. And you're like, okay, that's it. Uh, I guess I'll be sleeping in bathtubs from now on, yeah. you know, or on, on park benches. Cause those are more comfortable than these damn things. So, <laughs> As as with and, every gritty action hero, it's always that last one more job that really uh, goes crazy for you. Yeah, yeah, it does exactly. It's like today was supposed to be my last day, and then you're you sound like what's Danny Glover? You know, exactly. I'm too old for this, and it's it's it, you know, it's a scary moment when it happens, and um, and and that's when you realize. I mean, I was just in L.A. Uh, I still go down to L.A. a lot. My my cousin who actually lived in jersey city mm. back in the day now him and his family live in in la and so when i'm there i almost always stay with them and uh and it's still sleeping on a couch and and i was just there like three weeks ago maybe not even that oh, geez. and i was like yeah I, I i was like i can't sleep on a couch anymore this is like this is not for this is not for human beings of a certain <laughs> age you know uh it was and and it was you know, I was supposed to get the the spare bedroom, but his his mother in law moved in with them, and, uh-huh. and she she uh, she won she wins that fight because she's yep. older than I am. <laughs> so, like you know, you get into your sixties and seventies, and and you by default get the the spare bedroom, and then anyone else gets the gets the lumpy couch. Yeah, you're you're a grown man, but then all of a sudden because because there's an older woman, you're like, oh well, I guess I guess I'm a kid again. I just got to crash on the couch. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a hard <laughs> it's a hard life to live sometimes and it's it, it, and it's it's the the sad part is like some of it doesn't change so yeah. uh, a couple months from now is going to be the New York Comic Con and and you know all this tra- I do a lot of traveling for conventions now mm. some of them I, I I luck out and I stay in hotels but that gets pretty spendy so I, I yeah. still do there's still at least four times a year that I am living on someone's couch for like a week. And, and that week inevitably feels like a month. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, you share, sharing a sleeping space with like a dog or something like that. Yeah. This is very creative. It's, I mean, it's basically the true life of a hard traveling hero. Yeah. There's it's, it, if people knew the true glamor <laughs> of, uh, this, this is true. Like I, it was two years ago. Uh, it was going into New York Comic Con. I had an event that I had to do in Ohio first. Mm. 
then something in Washington, D.C., then the New York Comic Con. So I was on the road for like two and a half weeks, which is the longest I've ever been on the road in, in like in, in, the, in that sort of capacity. Mm. And um, so I actually, you know, you don't want to carry that many clothes. So I had to use a laundromat for the first <laughs> time in a long time because uh-huh. I have a I have a washer and dryer at home. And it was and and it was these machines with like a, a debit card reader built in. What? And and yeah, and and these things. If anyone listening, if if you've never experienced this, be careful because they will trick you. And and it'll say, "Are you ready to wash your clothes?" Yeah, insert card here, boom, and it'll tell you like the amount it's going to cost, and then it'll ask you a question. It's like a trick question, and then the next thing you know, you're paying fifteen dollars to wash a load of clothes. Whoa. But it only costs like three dollars. Holy and, shit! And, and, and I was like, after that, I was like, yeah. From now on, I'm just gonna um, I'm gonna radio ahead and tell like you know, because cause I have cousins and family everywhere. Yeah. So I'm always like, yo, you know, go to the store and buy me like three pairs of underwear, and and and, then, and, and just the cheapest underwear you can find. And then I just throw them away when I'm done. It's like the, the, it's, uh, that's the way to live on the road is disposable underwear. There you go. Disposable underwear. I mean, either that or just like meet a lot of people who have washers and dryers that you can just stop by their house to do laundry for a little bit. Yeah, see, that's the um, – people get your, – your relatives will do a lot of things. But the moment you ask them to use their washer and dryer, they get really weird, man. They'll be like <laughs> – Hey man, you know the electric bill was really high last month, oh, and God. so so you can wash the you can wash your drawers, but you're gonna have to hang them out to dry in the backyard, and whatever. So, um, hey man, it really is. All, I was just gonna it's say all about disposable stuff. There you go. Get get like the uh, the hemp underwear. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say next time you're in LA and you need a washer and dryer, I'm pretty sure I've got you covered. Uh, got it. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Uh, now, now that we're done talking about you know traveling and underwear and futons and stuff like that, I figure uh, we'll we'll give the listeners a little bit of comic book talk. Um, what what was your first exposure to comics? I mean, did you grow up a nerd, or when when do you remember like tapping into that uh, that vein? No, I definitely I grew up as a nerd, and, um, and in fact, I was just doing a I was just talking about this earlier today. Um, I was I, I grew up at a time you know this is in the early seventies when like the the live action Batman show was was in syndication. Oh yeah, and and um, the animated Spider Man show from the sixties was also in syndication. There was another, I can't remember what it was, but it was like a DC superhero show that was in syndication. There was uh, a bunch of stuff. Let's see, I, I, Super Friends was it? Yeah, no, it was before the Super Friends. Oh. Actually, there was a, there was it was um like there was it, it was it was divided up so there was like these shorts. There was the Adventures of Aquaman, oh. Adventures of Superman, Batman, that like sort the Fleischer of stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, so there was there was those, and then, and then there was you know again like also in syndication on Sunday mornings or whatever you would see like the Lone Ranger, so there was a, a, a you know the Adventures of Superman with with George Reeves and um, all this stuff was on, and and so I was exposed to all this stuff, but I was really a huge fan of, of both um, the live action Batman show and then the animated Spider Man series. And so that was my first experience as superheroes at a really, really early age, and I was fascinated with those. And my mom, you know, bought me my first comic book. I I couldn't have been more than you know four years old. I remember not knowing how to read um, at that time, and 
and and just starting and just starting to learn how to read. And so as I started to learn how to read with like the Dr. Seuss books and all that sort of stuff, I was also reading comic books at the same time. It was, it was, it was literally um, the two went hand in hand. And huh. um, actually, that, they literally they weren't hand in hand because <laughs> neither comic books nor Dr. Seuss books have hands. So figuratively, they went hand in hand. Um, and 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 it was just kind of interesting because I, I it was like you know to me comic books were super cool because it it was like i loved watching these superhero things on tv but it was i you know my mom would spend 25 cents or whatever and buy me a comic book and and i could read that in the car or, or like when we were at the laundromat or something like that and so that's how that's where that that nerd fascination began um but I was also at a really early age, you know, watching TV and reading comics, um, became aware that, that these weren't just things that magically appeared. Like even to, to this day, I, I will t- I'll talk to other adults mm-hmm. and they'll ask, what do I do for a living? I say, oh, oh I, I, I write comic books. And they can't comprehend what that means, right? <laughs> and some people can't even comprehend what it means if you say you write films or, or television. Like, yeah. they, they think it's magic. Like, <laughs> it just appears magically, right? And um, But I was never one of those kids that thought that stuff appeared magically. Like, somehow, I, 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 don't, I, I can't tell you, the ex- you know, necessarily the exact moment that I figured out that, oh, movies are, are something that are made and that there's a cast and a crew and that comic books – you know, I, but somehow early on, I figured out that there was that there was somehow these things were created and, and that's what people did. Yeah. And 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 so like there was a dual fascination with both the, the finished product, but also the process and knowing that 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 these things were made. And um, and and so I I would read comics, but I would also like study how they were drawn and, and figure out. You know, I was obsessed with every aspect of them, and um, and and I, I and I was I was a really weird kid because um, I was probably the only like six or seven year old kid who like back in those days knew who Will Eisner was and knew who the mm. Spirit was and and was obsessed with his work. Um, this is back when they were they were reprinting the Spirit as yeah. a black and white magazine. War, I think I believe it was um, it might have been Warren that was was publishing it. I, I could be off but it was you could get it on like at newspaper stands and stuff like that and it was um and yeah so that's kind of the long-winded explanation (laughs) so it's 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 been a really um a life's journey you know comic books superheroes all that sort of stuff storytelling has been with me i'm not one of those people who's like oh yeah i came into it later in life um or you know like i meet a lot of people who you know, they they'll watch the Netflix series or, or, or they're watching Arrow and they're like, yeah, that's how I discovered comics. And yeah, and and it's and it's interesting because that's I discovered it the exact same way. Only I discovered it. That's the way you did it back when I was a kid. <laughs> and people don't talk about it that much anymore. They don't really talk about like um, the animated shows or the live action shows and, and the movies and, and all that stuff's been around forever. Like, yeah, shortly after the first comic books appeared they were doing radio dramas and and then they were making serials and then they were making movies and and then eventually TV shows. So what we see going on now is, you know, in terms of this cross media saturation, it's, it's been around since the very beginning. Um, but like, you know, everybody likes to think that it was just invented, you know, in the last 10, 15 years. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's, it's interesting. And I mean, like, 
I I think it, it is crazy because you know you talk about like all those old cartoons and obviously like the the sixties uh, Spider Man animated show kind of has brought on a new life for itself because of all the uh, internet Spider Man memes. But like they they don't get enough credit sometimes because you you go back and you watch especially like the Fleischer Superman. It is so like just technically sound and the animation quality of of some of those older shows is so amazing and and yeah I mean you're you're probably right like obviously I'm you know, of a, of a younger gener- generation that was more brought in by guys like Bruce Tim and Dwayne McDuffie. But, like, uh, it's, I don't know, it, it is interesting. You're right. Like, it, it doesn't get talked about as much anymore for some reason. No, and, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, nowadays, you, you know, between YouTube and streaming and, and there's still, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays and all that stuff, there's, there's so many avenues with which to discover this sort of stuff. But <clears throat> there's also... Like it, it was, it was so much harder back then, but then in some ways it was easier because there wasn't as many choices. Like that's true. You know, I would come home from school and it was like, you know, because I, you know, lived in the the New York metropolitan area, there was actually, I think, six channels instead of most areas only had Ooh, three. Fancy guy like, over here. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you, you came home after school and it was like you either watched channel five or you watched channel eleven. Yeah. And 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 it was like yeah, you watched channel five right after school. Because that was when, um, you know, like Star Blazers and Battle of the Planets was on. And then you switched over to Channel 11 because that's when, you know, the live action Batman was on. And you stuck around because that's where Star Trek was on. And um, But it was, you know, it, it was a, it was a really interesting time. And 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 I again, I, you're right. I don't think people talk about it that much or, or understand, you know, um, the actual history of it all. Mm-hmm. And and um I would say I'd write a book on it, but I got too much other stuff on my plate. So <laughs> you, you got a, you got a couple of things there, just just a few, just a few. Yep. <laughs> um, and and we'll certainly uh, get into those because um, there's I, like there's there's so much in your work that I find like super interesting. Um, but uh, I'm I'm curious, like, what were your sort of big influential comics on your life? You know, because it sounds like from from what you've said in the past, like you kind of spent a lot of uh, time sort of, you know, aspiring to be a, a comic book creator and really trying to get into the, the industry. But what were the comics that were really inspiring you most uh, in the early years? Uh, when I was a kid, the ones that, it, you know, it was it was really interesting. The ones that inspired me the most were, um, well, you know, it, uh, there was definitely the, uh, Marvel put out uh, a, a black and white plan of the apes magazine mm. this was uh Fateful. in the 70s and it had adaptations of all the movies and this was during the height of their um black and white magazine production days they they also had savage sort of conan deadly hands of kung fu there's three or four other publications like that but definitely those planet of the apes comics were were huge and and i i don't talk about it that much but pro- those are probably the, the single biggest um influence influences on me in part because i love the planet of the apes movie so much and i love comics so it was mm. the, the, the literally the two things i love the most and and those magazines always had articles in them and you know talking about like the making of the movies and stuff like that yeah so that's part of where the, the my fascination with the behind the scenes stuff came um and you know i was like a huge fan of pretty much anything that had um the hulk in it Hulk, Spider-Man, and and Ben Grimm, the thing. Mm. Um, so so you know, 
like the Fantastic Four was was a huge influence on me, but n- probably not as much as um, Marvel Two and One starring the Thing, and you know every that series back in the seventies and eighties, every issue was Thing teamed up with whomever, whether it was Spider Man or you know some weird like Wondar, you know, or <laughs> or, or or some or some character that would like never appear again in the, the pages yeah. of Marvel. No. Um, I'm I'm curious because of that. Do you have like a, a thing pitch, or you know, or a bunch of them that are just like bottled up in the back of your mind for for whenever? Oh they... no, they're not bottled up. They've all been most of them <laughs> have been made to Marvel, and most of them have been ignored at this point. So you know, it's like okay, whatever. Hashtag um, bring back the two in one. Yeah, yeah, and well, it's I I believe it's actually coming back as part of the um, legacy. Yeah, the legacy oh. thing, and 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 there there had been a pitch in there, but they went with something different. I, I think pretty much anyone who's writing for Marvel at this point has um, either pitched a, a, some sort of Fantastic Four-related yeah. story, or if not the Fantastic Four itself, then then key members. Yeah. And, um, you know, from a sales standpoint, that book hadn't done well for a long time, but I think it's it's near and dear in the hearts of of a lot of true diehard Marvel fans, of which you know. Um, I mean, I loved comic books as a kid. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. but I, if, if left to my own devices, and by the time I was left to my own devices, which meant you know I would hoard away my lunch money or whatever it was and, <laughs> and spend it on comics. Nine times out of ten, it was it was a Marvel book that I was buying. Yeah, um, and I and I loved. I also just loved all that you know Marvel did. Uh, they had a series called Marvel Spotlight and another one called Marvel Premiere. And later on, they did Marvel fanfare, but I was always a big fan of, of those books where it was something different, maybe every month or every other issue. You know, sometimes they oh, do yeah. like extended runs, um, like Iron Fist. That's where he got his start. Was in I think it was Marvel, I think it was Marvel premiere, but it could have been Marvel Spotlight. Um, and then again, Marvel Two and One with the Thing. Yeah, it was always it always felt like you were getting more for your more bang for your buck with 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 some of those titles because it, it was it was Marvel Two. In one, yeah, you know, it was it was a thing in whomever else he teamed up with, whatever silly, you know, it, you know, thing in Brother Voodoo for for an issue, and and that always just seems so cool to me. Um, yeah, and 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 I was just fascinated with the storytelling, and even now as an adult, I go back and look at that stuff because there's such an economy of storytelling. A lot of times, oh yeah, an entire story would be told in an issue, and um, and and you don't get storytelling like that anymore. That that. That aspect of the medium has 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 gone the way of the dinosaur. Absolutely, no. It's we were we were talking about that the other day. Actually, we're like about to start a, a segment on our show, uh, you know, for our regular just sort of like goof around discussion episodes where we talk about like a single issue as sort of you know a complete work on its own and kind of pick one every week uh, because it it tends to be now when there is a single issue of a comic book that within I guess it's twenty pages now, not twenty two, but like within twenty pages tells you know a complete beginning middle and end that's you know like oftentimes it's still kind of connected to whatever's going on but it is a a story in of itself it it is such a rare thing now i mean it's just it's so hard to i guess get that through in sort of the decompressed age yeah it's 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 really difficult to get through and and a lot of it is comes down to like the the way the production process goes down and Mm. the timeline in which you have to create a story yeah. Um, but you know, I've, I, I've, I've now written a couple of those, um, sort of self-contained, some of them are, are a little bit more self-contained than others, but I, I did, I did one, 
uh, Empower Man and Iron Fist. Oh, that's that was right. a totally self-contained issue. And then I did a, and then I did like the equivalent to an annual, which I can't remember how many pages that was. I I, I know it was more than the standard twenty. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was a full thirty pages. Um, but I like I still push for those. And and there's, it's just kind of interesting yeah. because like the, the attitude seem it seems like a lot of people's attitude as well. You know, they want a bigger story, and I'm like, yeah, I I don't. You know, especially <laughs> if I'm if I'm spending four dollars. You know, three ninety nine for a comic. I'd like to have that story pretty complete. I don't want to know that. You know, oh, I'm going to have to spend twenty dollars to know what this whole story is going to be. Cause, yeah, because uh, that twenty dollars is is almost a tank of gas or totally. or whatever. So yeah, we um, were we were talking about that with um, Brian Hill talking about just like you know he was sort of exploring. You know, from his mind as a creator, and I'm sure you do this too. I mean, it sounds like you absolutely do. Is like trying to figure out because comics has such a an unequal dollar per entertainment time uh, ratio compared to other mediums. It's like trying to figure out how you can get those $4 to go their furthest for every single issue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, um, I, I went to, I saw, you know, Spider-Man uh, opening day and I, I um, we were fortunate where I live that we still have a couple independently owned and operated movie theaters and mm. aren't the, the big corporate megaplexes. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I went to see Spider-Man opening night at a theater that like it was, it was only $8 for the ticket, you know? And I yeah. was like, wow, I'm paying $8 for this. That's the price of two comic books, you know? Yeah. And, but the movie was two and a half hours long. You yeah. know? It's like, I, I, I got more for that $8 than I would, you know, necessarily for, two comic books um yeah and and i sometimes think about that like you know what are we as creators asking um the, from from our fans from the from the consumers because because i i think we a lot of times in the industry there's this this i this notion that um well because they're fans there's there's no such thing as asking for too much from them and i'm like yeah there is you know yeah. there's you, you know how much money are we going to ask for somebody when there's all these other things competing for their, um, you know, their, their consumer dollars, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, if you wait long enough, I used to be one of those people who, when a movie came out on, on DVD or Blu-ray, like I would buy it that day, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like, if you wait, you know, long enough, a month or two, that, that $30 Blu-ray, it's going to be on sale, whether it's on sale (laughs) at, at, um, you know, on Amazon or, or, or at a store like Best Buy or something like that yeah. or Costco. And it's, you know, like I bought Captain America Winter Soldier on Blu-ray. I found it on sale brand new for $5. Wow. So I was like, yeah, okay. So I just spent $5 on this Blu-ray, which is almost the same price as a comic book. Yeah. And, but me being the, the, the process junkie that I am, not only am I going to watch the movie, like, you know, 10 times yep. i'm gonna watch all the bonus features the director's and, and commentary the behind the scenes yeah yeah i do all that stuff <laughs> i mean here. i am I'm, I'm i'm a psychopath i just i just bought um the streets of fire blu-ray the other day and and um yeah like in in a moment of sleep deprivation <laughs> and i was just happened to be on the internet and listen watching you know um clips from streets of fire on youtube and i was like I wonder if this is on Blu-ray and then, Oh, it is. And then the next thing, you know, I was like, I mean, did I just buy this thing? Yep, yeah. I did. And then, you know, a couple of days later I'm watching, 
there's all the bonus features and going, yeah, this is a good buy. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I spent my $30 on this. So Yeah. Uh, That's funny, man. Yeah, I'm, so I'm, I was just going to say, like, I'm the same way. I love digging into those special features. And, like, people my age see my Blu-ray shelf and go, what is wrong with you? Like, you can get this so much cheaper, like, on your computer, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, and, and, and I tell those people who say this, they say that to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, and someday it, w- it won't be available. Yeah. And then you're going to come over to my place and be like, hey, can I borrow your Blu-rays? And I'm going to be like, <laughs> nope, you can't borrow them. Um, I, I mean, I, I can't bring myself to get there's, – there's some movies I get rid of, I've gotten rid of over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if I want to watch Serpico tonight, um, I don't know if Serpico's on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Amazon you know, streaming. I don't know where it is. There's no more. There's almost no more video stores left in this country. Yeah, it's like I might not be able to watch Serpico right now, which is like, as far as I'm concerned, that's bringing me back to my youth before home video. I mean, home video made it so that you could watch so many things almost whenever you wanted to. You'd have to go to go to a store to rent them. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that that option isn't there, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, I, I, there's a movie that I want to watch. And it's it's not on it, you know, it's not available for streaming on Amazon and it's not available on Netflix. You can buy it or you can, you know, whatever. And it, um, and it's like, well, I don't. And, and then I get mad, especially if I owned it at one point and got rid of it like a fool. You know, I feel like a chump. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I never should have gotten rid of, you know, Tough Turf. I should have kept that movie. Um, but uh, man, Airbus it, it is five. I'm really missing that one. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, um, as I, I was trying to think of what are some of the more obscure, stupid titles that I that I owned at one point and got rid of, and the, the reality is is that you don't miss most of them. But there's always that one where you're like, "Don't! Yep. I should have kept it." Oh, totally. So. And for me, yeah, for me, it's always like the the making of and behind the scenes and stuff. Like, because it's like you'll see a really cool movie on Netflix and be like, "That was great! Like, that was an awesome movie." But I remember when I had that on, like, DVD, and I could have seen, you know, whoever the screenwriter or director was, like, talking about how they crafted that scene or, you know, or the costume designer or whatever. Like, yeah, it's just there's something. I wish that that was available on Netflix. If it was, I might not buy so many Blu-rays, but whatever. Yeah, at some point, like, I'm sure uh, maybe they won't do that because that's probably one of the things that's keeping the the Blu-ray market alive. Yeah, it's got to be. Are those things. Um once in a while I'll see like on Amazon you can you can watch for free, like they'll have, oh, the deleted scenes of something, but um yeah, you know, it is what it is. I mean there's yeah. there's there's definitely a a gap, I think, in it's more of a generational gap where there's people who don't mind not having that physical media. Mm-hmm. Um and I thought I was gonna be one of those people after I got my my first iPad, but it's like, yeah, you know, I'm still I, I still like the physical media. I mean, it takes up too much space, and you know, unless you're being buried like a pharaoh, an Egyptian pharaoh, where they, <laughs> you, you know, they're going to bury me with my, you know, three thousand, you know, Blu-rays and my ten thousand graphic novels or whatever. Um, I guess I need to lighten this load, but for now, yeah, I'm I'm very content um, with the overwhelming amount of garbage that i don't need so i'm the exact same way i have way too many things yeah tons and tons of books and toys and it's ridiculous they just pile but i don't care yeah (laughs) yeah it's 
I, I go I go through waves of like I got to get rid of some of this stuff, and then then I, I can't. It's like oh, it's, this is too. I got this back in you know 1986, and <laughs> and it's like yeah, that that T shirt doesn't fit anymore, dude. You 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 outgrew <laughs> that 20 years ago. Oh, but it's still my favorite T shirt. I, I look at I take it out of the you know the the storage closet once a year and just look at it and go oh look at the sweet t-shirts so. <laughs> i'm also guilty of that <laughs> yeah um, we all have we all have our our crosses to bear it's true uh you mentioned you mentioned spider-man homecoming and uh before we like I do. I, I feel like we've we've been talking so much about general stuff, which is awesome. But I also want to make sure that we're like talking a lot about your work and stuff, because obviously, you know, that's that's what that's what you're here to talk about. But um, what did you what did you think of uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming? I was entertained. You know, I um, I, I I'm sure. I, I mean, I, I know for a fact I'll watch it again because I, I watch most most movies that I'm entertained by. I'll at least watch again. I had a good yeah. time. You know, I mean, it's it's funny because it's. You know, I was like, wow, this is the sixth Spider-Man movie. They've made six movies in like 15 years or something like that. (laughs) That seems crazy. And and six of them, but, you know, three of them have been reboots. And um, yeah, or one one was a launch and two were reboots. Um, But I liked it. I I, I was entertained by it. And 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 I I was glad to see that they took a different direction. Um, And and I I couldn't quite put my finger on what what, uh, some of the things I liked and didn't like initially when I was watching it one was it, it, it but afterwards I figured out the thing I that um I disliked the most was it actually was a movie that I felt like I was a little too old for um mm. there was it was just like and and I it might have just been the fact that it was too long I think pretty much every movie is too long I mean like every single movie I've seen maybe in my entire life is is uh. too long by at least <laughs> a half hour um, and and I think I think most movies would be really good if they were just like fifty nine minutes and wow. just ended. Um, but that's just me. But the thing that I, I really liked about it, and it's you know I don't think it's a spoiler to say, but Hour five. that that he's he's a pretty as effective as as Spider Man is as a hero. He's pretty inept at a lot of what he does. Yeah. And and after five movies, you know, two of which were essentially origin films, it's it was like. He got really good really quick, you know, like he was good at being Spider-Man before the first um, Tobey Maguire movie was over and before the first Andrew Garfield movie was over. Mm-hmm. It was like you, you got the sense like not only – oh, yeah, yeah, he's got it. You know, he learned his valuable lesson. Uncle Ben's dead. And, you know, <laughs> he's, he's learned everything. And um, and this one you didn't – it's like you were kind of left with, OK, well, yeah, he's going to get it, but he's still far from it. There was There was a lot of – serious mess ups and that's what i i really liked about the movie it was it was just kind of odd um seeing it that way because it was like oh this is like where he's not having the complete hero's journey in this one and 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 it was we were so like i was just so grateful that we didn't have to watch uncle ben die for a third time (laughs) you know yes um like 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 i I've, i've known that story since i was a kid but then at the same time it was also kind of weird watching it that way going it's like, huh, when is he going to learn that with great power comes great responsibility? <laughs> and then you realize, oh, he, he's learning it all along. He's just learning it in a different way. And, and, I, and I appreciated that. But it was, it was kind of weird watching it and um, how much we're conditioned to get 
the exact same narrative over and over again. Yeah. And, and it was, it was, it was, to me, it was really refreshing that they, they broke the mold that way. Yeah. I, Matt and I kind of talked about it. Rachel, uh, Rachel was late to the game. And so we, we haven't gotten her full feelings on the show about uh, the movie yet, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was so, I don't know. It, it was super enjoyable and refreshing for us. Um, and I'm, I'm very eager to see, uh, Ra- Rachel really quick, uh, give, give the listeners a tease of, of your thoughts for, uh, the next time we talk about it on, uh, on the discussion episode. Um, I, I do agree that I feel I'm, I was a little too old for this movie. If I was a teenager, I would have loved this movie, but yeah, I also yeah. think it was a really fun, enjoyable movie. I, I I agree. I think it was I I I think it was made for younger people, which that I, I I applaud that. You know. Um, yeah. I I I watched. I saw uh, a, a preview screening of Atomic Blonde last night, mm. and uh, and I found it to be entertaining. But it, it's it's you know it's an R-rated movie. It's super violent, yeah. and there was a moment where I was like. Wow, this movie's kind of violent, you know. <laughs> I, and I don't think that that often. Yeah. I'll think, wow, this movie's boring, or this movie um, is is really poorly written, or whatever. But I was just like, yeah, this is violent. I, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm. Uh, it's like when the music gets too old. Is when when the futon gets too lumpy, the music gets too loud, <laughs> exactly. and, and the movies get too violent. How, suddenly, there's something there's something wrong with me, or or is, or is the system letting me down? By the way, this is coming from the writer of Nighthawk. Just wanted to preface that. Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah, Nighthawk, you know. very appropriately violent. It was. It was. It was. It was definitely toned down. There was. There was yes. moments where they were editorial was like, "Oh yeah, we can't do this in a comic." And I was like, "All right, whatever." It's a, it's, <laughs> but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> we don't. Yeah, the the editorial uh, uh, problems of writing a. a book like Nighthawk I'm sure were uh, many and and thorough um but yeah I so the, I guess I'll, I'll skip all of my like you know uh self uh you know I guess just selfish questions about like your your uh origin story and and breaking into the industry and all that stuff that I'm just like a nerd over because I do I really want to talk about like the the stuff that you have on the shelves um so let's I mean as the listeners are hearing this, if they're listening day one, War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, the new comic book just came out yesterday, and I guess now the movie is coming out tonight. As they're listening to this, uh, how did the how did that gig come about for you? What's you know where did the involvement come from, or did they approach you, or how did that come about? It was um, well, it, it was it started out with uh, this this book that I co-wrote with Tim Seeley, uh, Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. Mm. And and which was a joint publication between Dark Horse and um, and Boom. I love those and, joint publications. They're so good. Yeah, and um, Scott Alley, who's an editor over at Dark Horse, was was the ones uh, leading this project, and we we know each other socially, and and we're both like huge Planet of the Apes fans, mm. and. Tim Seeley was already working on it. Scott and Tim were already developing the series. And and Scott called me up and was like, hey, we're doing Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. And, you know, Tim isn't, you know, he's not the ape fanatic that you are. Would you be interested in working on this title with him? And I was like, sure. So, um, and I knew Tim, you know, socially and socially and professionally. So we, mm-hmm. we, were, we were working on Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. And it was, um, you know, 
the main reason I took that gig was because I, I felt, oh, I'll probably never get to write Planet of the Apes otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just wanted to do it. It was it was on my bucket list. And then uh, before the series came out, I was at a convention and two editors from Boom approached me and they were like, oh, hey, we, you know, we just wanted to introduce ourselves and let you know we really loved the work that you've done on on this that you and Tim did. And we can't wait for it to come out. And I was like, oh, thanks. And then it just turned into this co- conversation about our mutual love for Planet of the Apes. And they were like, well, hey, you know, we're, we're going to we're thinking about doing some more Planet of the Apes stuff in the near future. If you're interested, you know, get in touch with us. And I was like, you know. Okay, and, you know, so I got in touch with them, like literally within the next two or three days. Like that, that convention was over, and I sent an email. And this was a, uh, it was it was Emerald City Comic Con last year, mm. so that's that's around March or something. And and so the the conversation began in earnest over a Planet of the Apes series that um, was tied into the original films, and. We had a couple conversations about it, and and it was like, yeah, okay, I, you know, they agreed to to do this this project, which hasn't been formally announced yet or anything like that. But it was it, it was it was it was, you know, the firm handshake in place. And then by the time San Diego Comic Con rolled around last year, um, they they came to me and said, hey, you know, we're we're going to be doing a a comic tied into the the film that's coming out in 2017. Would you be interested in that? And I was like, yeah, sure. And, and so that's where it began. And, um, and, and now, you know, so war for the planet of the apes, the first issue, like you said, just came out and that's a four issue mini series. And then at some point, this other one is coming out. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know when they're going to solicit it. I think the first issue is going to come out before this year is up. And then, and then I keep pitching them other stuff because I'm just having so much fun writing Planet of the Apes. And, and I, you know, like I pitched, like I even pitched an, an idea that, because um, there's really like there's multiple timelines and they don't they don't match up. There's the original film series, and then there was the live action television series, and then there was the animated television series, and then there's the new movies. Yeah. And, and I'm constantly like, hey, I could do something from. How about if we do something from the the live action TV series? And, and they, you know, they're like, okay, just slow down, you know, and, and, and you know, and it's sort of like, other than you, is there anyone that really wants to know the further adventures of astronauts Pete Burke, Alan Verdon, and their chimpanzee <laughs> companion Galen? And I'm like, there's at least ten of us. I, I know them all because we sit around and talk about it all the time. So um, I don't know if they'll ever green like that one, but um, but but War for the Planet of the Apes was was you know, a great learning experience on a lot of levels. And, um, and it was a long, it was, it was actually a longer process than, than a lot of, um, other projects that I've worked on because there was, because of the new movie, there was so much that needed to be approved by Fox and, and then, um, you know, and then there was some stuff just when we were getting ready to really start Fox all of a sudden, for whatever reason, changed their minds and um and and but it was it was really cool and and Jonas the artist I, I've never met him he's out of Germany but working with him has been great and and it was you know and there was a lot of challenges to writing that series too because it was it has a very clearly defined beginning and a very clearly defined ending which is it it, it had to begin with 
you know, where Dawn of the Planet of the Apes ends, mm. and it has to end before War for the Planet of the Apes begins. And then there was a hiccup sort of in that process and that, oh, there's a, there's a novel coming out um, oh. that, that is, is sort of bridging some of the same gaps that I was originally bridging. But the novel was already done and, and they were like, well, you, you can't do these four key things in, your, in the series. Oh, man. And it was like, OK, back to the drawing board. You know? um, but at the end of the day, I think that that actually made the, the comic that we're doing a lot better. Um, and and I was I wanted to play around with, um, you know, visual storytelling. How, how do you play around with visual storytelling when all you're doing is writing mm. and 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 you know trying to get the story to come across as much through images? And that's where Jonas really, you know, he's he's the rock star of, of the War for the Planet of the Apes series. And and because there's there are pages you know, multiple pages in, in each issue in which there's, there's no text other than maybe sound effects or something like that. Um, and that was, you know, that's, that's a tougher sell, I think in comics than in film or, or, or in live action, because, um, there's so much more subtlety and nuance that you can, you can have on the screen that you don't necessarily get in a comic, but, but he, he captured it. So I'm, I'm super happy with that. And, um, you know, excited to to finally see the movie because um, because I read the script like it's been ten months or something since oh, I read wow. the, the they sent me the screenplay so I've known you know most of the story I know they they changed some obviously they were going to change stuff and there was reshoots and all that but yeah yeah it was a great it was a, it was it was it was really fun read and I'm looking forward to it awesome and uh, and I I was. Curious, like, does this all this involvement in like the Planet of the Apes comics and stuff like that? Does it kind of feel poetic to you in a way that, like, you were mentioning that, like, reading those Planet of the Apes comics as a kid was like the big sort of, uh, you know, like your favorite stuff? Has it kind of felt sort of weird, like being on the other side of that exact thing? It's yeah, it's 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 really interesting. It's 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 great and it's weird and it's surreal because, um, you know, like writing Luke Cage for Marvel, um both writing the Power Man and Iron Fist series and now this Luke Cage solo series yeah. has really been a tremendous thing. And and my cousin and I talk about this all the time because my cousin's like, yo, man, you remember when we were kids and, and we first saw the, you got our first Luke Cage comics and, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, those, those dreams that you had as a childhood start to come true. And it's a really bizarre feeling, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's 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 there there's a weird mix of it because it's like it's like you pull back the curtain and and you see you know what's really going on what the wizard really looks like mm-hmm. um and but with this planet of the ape stuff it's it really is it's it's the single biggest culmination of all my childhood you know loves and and desires coming coming to fruition and it's uh i i, I still grapple with it you know it's like like, wow, you know, um, is it possible for you to get any luckier? You know, there's even, even when you have, you know, like I'm, I'm a neurotic, um, artist, you know, that's, that's, that's it, you know, a lot of self doubt, a lot of self loathing. And, um, but, but you have to stop and go, okay, wait a sec. This is like, your life is pretty good, young man. You know, it's like not every single kid, 
who, you know, was watching Planet of the Apes movies, you know, on late night TV, on a black and white TV in, you know, their, their bedroom with the comics stacked up next to them and the action figures on the other side. Not that many of them grow up to do what you're doing. And, um, and, you, and you need to be really thankful for that. And, 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 and also just appreciative of the people along the way who gave you the opportunities. And, um, yeah, it, and it'll be even weirder when, when this other Planet of the Apes project comes out, because that one's like even, even more so than the Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes series, more so than the War for the Planet of the Apes series. That's the one that's like tied into my youth. You know, that's the one that's, oh, yeah. that's really the young man's dreams come true. So. <laughs> Well, I uh, I am very excited to uh, to read that. Um, let's talk a bit about your Marvel stuff because I think at this point, like that's kind of the you know, I guess the big sort of flag that's uh, that you're known for a lot of the time is is you know your sort of work in the last few years with Marvel. Um, how how did your how how did that all come about? I mean, your your first series with Marvel was uh, was Power Man and Iron Fist, right, or was it Nighthawk? Uh, the first one to come out was Power Man and Iron Fist, but the first one that I was working on was um, was Nighthawk. I, I had actually been working on Nighthawk for for several months. I'd come off of doing like a, a a one shot and a short story, and was actually developing another series. And then Nighthawk came along, and then Power Man and Iron Fist came along, and and they told me, you know, put the brakes on Nighthawk. It's still going to come out, but we want Power Man and Iron Fist coming out first. Um, and and that all came about, you know, I'd been on Marvel's radar for a while. Like I said, I'd, I'd done a, a, a one-shot for the 50th anniversary of S.H.I.E.L.D. I wrote this Nick Fury story. I'd written um, during uh, – now I can't even remember – um, <clears throat> I can't remember what. Oh, Secret Wars. That's what it was. Oh, okay. I'd written a short story for one of the Secret Wars tie-ins, um, and and had been talking to Marvel, really, almost as long as I'd been talking to DC, and and I kind of had made this promise to myself that well, whichever one offers you a steady gig first, do you you take it, and and DC offered me a steady gig first with Cyborg, so I took that. Um, and, and the entire time I was I was working on Cyborg, I was talking to Marvel about some other stuff and doing some other things. And then, um, then like like I said, Nighthawk came up, and then Power Man and Iron Fist came up a couple months after that, and and really started pushing on those. And, and by the time Power Man and Iron Fist came up, um, I, I I I already knew I was leaving Cyborg, mm-hmm. and so. Um, there was there was a there was a sort of a gap in between the two, but I knew that I was going to be leaving DC. And there was no other talk between me and them, and uh, and yeah, so that was kind of how it happened. They I'd been on the radar for a while because I, you know, I, I had some really good friends who were already in the industry, and um, uh, you know, they were they were constantly putting my name in front of different editors and, and things like that, but. Um, it, so there was, there's, I would say there's probably a solid two or three years where I was being talked to and, and there was conversations going back and forth. Yeah, definitely two years, um, before any real work started to come, come about. Mm. That's interesting. Like it's, it's so funny how in comics, like things take so long to kind of develop, but then 
once they're going, it's like such a short time period by the time, you know, before they're like just out on the shelves compared to most other entertainment mediums. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's funny and it's weird too, because it's like, um, you know, Luke Cage number three comes out next week. Um, yeah. but I'm working on issue seven oh, wow. right now. And, and there's some, some issues that came up with issue five, but I wrote issue five, like, months back and it's like <laughs> like oh we need you to go back and and, and f- fix some stuff i'm like I, I don't even remember what i wrote in issue five i mean <laughs> um there's there's inevitably with just about everything i write where i have to go back and, and check and make sure i haven't repeated myself or something because because sometimes you're you know um you know like with, with planet of the apes with war for the planet of the apes first like you said the first issue is just coming out mm-hmm. but i i wrote that issue back in uh i think i wrote it back in december and then and then around february there was um it was like fox found a couple things they wanted to to change and and the and the the art hadn't been complete hadn't been completely drawn yet so it was like okay got to go back out to do some rewrites but um yeah you know sometimes you're six months to a year ahead of of the schedule of things coming out. And then sometimes you're only six days ahead of it. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's a weird business for sure. Yeah. That's, it's kind of crazy. Um, and so, yeah, now, now we're basically, it's kind of funny. You've had like a sort of like two waves of your Marvel stuff. You have the first wave with like Nighthawk and Power Man and Iron Fist. And now you're kind of in the second wave with, uh, Occupy Avengers and Luke Cage. Um, has your like process for, you know, sort of doing comics, uh, for a company like Marvel, obviously, with their, you know, processes and IPs and sort of the way they handle things, uh, has it kind of changed or have, have you found, like, ways that your process has evolved from kind of those first two books to now the two that you're working on now for them? Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely been uh, some, some differences. And one of, one of the, the biggest differences is, is learning how to, um, to better communicate and trust your artists that you're working with. Mm. So in the beginning I was really like super anal retentive and, and freaked out like, Oh, what if, you know, I, I got to explain everything to the artist every, with every fine detail. And, um, and it was during power man and iron fist while I was working with Sanford green mm. that I learned how to let go a lot and trust. And, and then working on occupy Avengers with, um, with Carlos Pacheco for sure. But, Definitely with Gabriel Walta because yeah. Gabe, there's a lot more communication between Gabe and myself, mm. and 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 you know that's the thing. It's like sometimes there's there's a lot of communication back and forth between an artist or or that sometimes the entire art team. So like the early issues of Cyborg, which were um, you know penciled by by Ivan Rice and and inked by Joe Prado. Yeah, I mean like those guys were they were like my bodyguards, you know, when I was getting started at DC, they really had my back <laughs> and they would communicate directly with me and, and ask questions. Um, and then sometimes there's artists that, you know, sometimes the editors act as, as a, as a good conduit between you and, and the artists. And sometimes they just are sort of the buffer and, and there's mm-hmm. not a lot of communication going on. And I, I don't need a lot of communication, but I would, like if if I get to see the art even as it comes in in layouts, it lets me know, okay, yeah, the artist knows what I'm thinking, you know, and and so like with Occupy Avengers, it got to a point with um with Gabe where 
I knew I could be, I could just say, okay, this is what's going to happen on this page. And, and then the note would, then there'd be a note to my editors and say, you know, once he does the layouts, then I'll I'll script this. And I wouldn't Mm. draw, write an entire script that way, but like maybe during an action sequence, two, three pages, I would just tell him, these are the main beats. You can draw whatever you want, as long as you get these, you know, four or five things in here. And then he would deliver the goods. And then I would, you know, I'd see the layouts and I would, I would then, uh, you know, write in the, you know, what the script, the dialogue or whatever that I needed and then move on. And a lot of that's about trust. It's about knowing that, um, that the artist you're working with is, is going to make some really good storytelling decisions mm-hmm. and, and go from there. So, um, that part of it, I really, I I've learned to love and, and to grow with, um, you know, writing, writing for a big company like Marvel or DC, there's, there's some great aspects to it. And then there's some not so great aspects. And, you know, you're at the end of the day, you don't own the characters and there's stuff that you might want to do that you don't get to do or there's, or, and, and, um, and, and I think, you know, I've come into this industry. I talk about this a lot with, with other creators and with friends of mine, you know, I've come into this industry a little bit older than a lot of other people were Mm. when they, when they got started Mm -hmm. and, and having come from a, a, a place where, not only had I been doing a lot of my own stuff on my own for a long time, but also just a lot of ex- world experience, just life and in the work world. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's like, you know, I don't as much ownership as I feel over characters while I'm working on them. I realize that I don't own the characters. And and it's like, yeah, if if, if there's a, a Luke Cage story that I absolutely want to tell that Marvel doesn't want me telling then it's like, okay, you know, that's fine. I won't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I also know that I can, I can take that basic story and, and spin it around and, and turn it in, you know, for another character. If I, yeah. if I absolutely wanted to make um, something wholly new out of it or, or sort of something original with something you do control. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and it's, and, 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 you know, the, I think the greatest lesson I've learned is that, that it is work, you know, I mean, I knew, I knew it going in that it was going to be work and, and it was like, yep, this is work, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it's like, um, there's, there's some, like, sometimes where that work is really, really fun. And then there's other times where it's like, uh, yeah, you know, this is, it's work, you know, there's a reason why they call <laughs> it this. So, yeah. Uh, one thing that's, that's really struck me a lot with, um, a lot of your work. I mean, you know, you've had a lot of work that, uh, is you know obviously you've had a, a lot of original stuff but also work that's you know really putting a voice and and putting kind of a a spin or even you know just a continuation of a of an existing character or a character that has a long uh history and yeah. one thing that's always struck me is that you you tend to really hone in on the voices of a lot of those characters whether it be Luke Cage or Shaft you know or even somebody like Hawkeye or Nighthawk like what's your approach to getting inside the character or the head of a character that's, you know, existed for a long time or, you know, that other people created? That's a really good question. It's a a lot of it is, um, you, you, it's, it's like a three prong approach, right? One is you, you, you go back and you read as much stuff with, with these particular characters as you can get your hands on Mm -hmm. and, and you, you know, what really, really works. What did, what did I love about this character? Right. Yeah. Then the thing that's even I think even more important is you go back and you find the stuff that you really hated 
about what other creators have done with that character, mm. whether it's just an aspect of, of the way they wrote the character or some of the adventures or whatever. And you just go, OK, yeah, th- this is what we got. Either we stay away from completely or how would I, I how would I reverse this? How would I fix this? And then the third thing is like is is to find within that character that thing that you've always wanted to see, but you you never saw. Mm-hmm. And that's usually somewhere between those first two things that you did, right? So so like with Luke Cage, you know, um, here's a character that I've been reading since I was a kid. I went back, I reread a ton of the stuff from the 70s. I read all, all the Power Man, Iron Fist stuff. And I was reading, um, you know, and, and I was reading a combination of stuff that really worked and, and stuff that didn't quite work. And, and then I kept asking myself, okay, so what is it that I, I would like to see that I haven't seen yet? And, and it's, for me as a creator, and I do this with everything I work on, it's, it's usually somewhere in between, you know, the things I really like and the things that I don't like that I I find what it is that I'm looking for, you know, and, and, and going back to like Power Man and Iron Fist specifically was like, okay, everybody was writing Power Man and Iron Fist whenever they would write the two of them together mm-hmm. going back to even the seventies and the eighties, it was like, you know, Oh, they're, you know, they're best friends or like they're, they're brothers, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I looked at it and I was like, you know, no, they're not, they're not, they're actually not brothers. Um, Luke thinks they're brothers, but to Danny, to Iron Fist, Luke is really that he's more of a father figure, mm. right? That was that was the thing that I I that was sort of like this thing that popped in my head one day, and I was that's like, interesting. you know, that's what that's what Danny's suffering from is 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 abandonment issues, and and he's looking for a father figure. So if Luke is anything, he's you know he's he's less of a big brother and 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 not even quite a father, but more like a stepfather. Yeah, right. And and I and so I made this decision. I was like, I'm going to write Luke Cage as the stepdad everyone wishes they had, you know? <laughs> um, and, 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 and then I was going to write Danny as, you know, uh, as the stepbrother that, that you love, but they get on your nerves, you know? Yeah. And, and, that, and that was, and that was just sort of the decision that I made, you know? And, um, and, and, and I just, I, I went forward with that. And, and even when I was like working on Nighthawk, that that series went through so many changes before it finally, you know, turned into what it did. But in the in the very beginning, I had said, you know, I want to I want to use a bunch of, um, you know, of like the black villains from from the Marvel universe yeah. in Nighthawk, and I and I want to re envision them, and and like a lot of that stuff s- slowly started getting chipped away, and then some of it I actually migrated over to Power Man and Iron Fist because it was a much better fit. Um, but the, the thought of using Tilda Johnson in Nighthawk never went away. And, and there was, there was always pushback like, no, you you know, and I, and I never came out and told them why I wanted to use Tilda Johnson so bad. And the reason was, was because I I hold to the fact that in the history of the Marvel universe, she's like easily in the top 10 lamest characters. And, and she's the single worst black female character in the history of comics. And that's saying a lot. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I want to, I want to fix her. You know, I, I mean, I remember her from, from my childhood thinking that she was one of the worst characters I've ever seen. And I was like, I know I can make her acceptable. And I never said this in, at the time to anybody. I just kept pushing to use her 
And I just said, it'll, it'll, I said, she's, she's not recognizable enough that, um, that, that, you know, she doesn't have the same history that a lot of other characters have. But I said, there'll be some fans that'll know who she is and they'll really appreciate what I'm doing. And then there'll be other ones who don't recognize her, but they'll, they'll fall in love with her. And, and that's what happened in Nighthawk. And then I had the, the opportunity to bring her over into Occupy Avengers. And I, and I think it's funny because it's like, two different actresses are going to be playing her. One's playing her in the Black Panther movie. And then she's also in the second, she's I, apparently she's going to be the second season of Luke Cage. Really? And I'm like, it's, it's, it's absolutely hilarious to me that, that a character that 18 months ago, there was like 50 comic book fans who knew she, who she <laughs> was. And now, and now she's, she's going to be on two different live action. There's going to be two different live action versions of her. Maybe two. I don't know if the Luke Cage thing is true or not. But, yeah. Um, but I, I just find it amusing, and it was like, I'm not going to take any credit for it, but I, but I am going to say that, yeah, that like, here was somebody that I recognize as being a really lame character, but also knowing that she had a ton of potential, and that's the thing. I think no matter how lame a character may be, or how how ridiculous they may seem, it's like, this is comics. We can turn them into something really cool and exciting if we just put in a little time and energy. Yeah. No, that's I and I know that like when we were when we were reading Nighthawk, I know all of us like we kept talking to each other about how, you know, hilarious and awesome uh, Tilda was. I mean, like yeah, with a character like that, it was pretty incredible to see in a story where it's like, "Oh, whoa, she's like an amazing character now." Like she's, you know, and, and you did kind of like use all of the you know, everything that was established, whether it was great or horrible, like, you know, and mostly mostly on the other the other end of that, but like <laughs> you know, you you used a lot of that stuff, but then turned it into something almost like this Grant Morrison type of thing, where he you know he always takes everything that's there and kind of rolls it up into something that creates this amazing thing. And I don't know, it was it was very interesting to read. I mean, she she definitely struck a chord in uh, in those pages. Yeah, no, she she turned. I, I didn't think I didn't know it was going to turn out this way, but she was the most fun uh, I've had. She's the, she's the character I've had the most fun writing. Period. Everything I've worked on, I she she's it. She's the character that, um, you know, if if I keep telling Marvel, I'm like, when you're ready to do a Tilda comic, let me know. I'm the guy, <laughs> and you know, maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't. Um, We're crossing I, I, our fingers, it, but yeah, but I would I would love to do it. I would have so much fun with her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I know we're we're uh, you know we're we're infringing on your time at this point. We're getting uh, close to the end here, so. We'll we'll kind of like go into our last little part where we just kind of do a quick like roundtable rapid fire. Uh, ask you a few, almost like a lightning round, except we're never too fast at talking, and you're not for, <laughs> you're not forbade at uh, you know you don't have to like give a super quick answer. It's all totally up to you. Um, but we'll just kind of start. I know uh, usually Matt starts it off with his like uh, kind of music and comics questions. So you you go right ahead, Matt. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh... I do. Have, oh, yeah. Okay. I'll start there. Um, all right. So it, it, it might be <laughs> or tough because the. No, you're good. Because Ali Shaheed Muhammad and Adrian Young did an awesome soundtrack to Luke Cage. But what would be your soundtrack to your Luke Cage comic? Oh man, my my soundtrack is um, is is most definitely like uh, early '70s funk. Uh, all you know, um, late '60s, early '70s funk and R&B. So. A lot of like uh, James Brown and some 
Funkadelic and Earth, yeah. Wind and Fire. Like, as much as I love hip hop, like my my life soundtrack is more um, is more of a funk R and B sort of thing. So, um, and 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 some some artists that aren't as well known anymore because they've sort of been forgotten. But like a guy like Nolan Porter mm-hmm. or Baby Huey, um, guys like that, and and. And and in the back of my mind, it's almost like uh, the Stack Studio musicians, which were basically made up Booker T and the MGs, uh, and, and played on like all these great sessions. Like like they they'd be following him around, <laughs> like in like I'm gonna get you sucker. Like 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 Luke Cage would get on the phone and call up his house band and be like, okay, uh, I'm going into action. You guys be there. <laughs> and and you know it's it's. Uh, it would be like that. And, and then also the roots. Cause I love the roots a lot. And, yeah. and, um, but now I'm thinking like, well, you know, yeah. uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff. There's some really great gang star stuff, sure. you know, and the TV show, the TV series, every episode was named after a gang star yeah. song. And it was like, yep, that's appropriate. This works. I get it. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. uh, but James Brown works with just about anything. So, you know, if I had to narrow it down to one artist, it would be James Brown okay. doing um, the the entire Luke Cage inspirational score. I mean, you could throw a little Maggot Brain and Brothers Johnson in there, and I don't think anyone would be too sad. Not at <laughs> all. Yeah, you know, I mean, um, yeah, definitely, you know, Funkadelic. I mean, I'm sitting here. I still have CDs on a shelf, and, and I, I, I'm staring at my Funkadelic, you know, and there's Maggot Brain right there. and yep. and. Um, you know, one nation under a groove, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, he, he it's it, it, it's it's the if it if it gets you to move in, then it's then you know if if it starts your knee to sort of pop in and and your butt to shaking back and forth, then <laughs> then it's going to work for Luke Cage. Perfect, love it. Uh, Rachel, you go ahead. Um, is there any character that you personally would like to bring to the big screen? I would like to bring to the big screen. Um, well, yeah, I'd love to bring Tilda Johnson to the big screen. You know? <laughs> um, and <laughs> uh, you know, I it it I, I think about that stuff, but then it's also like it, sometimes it's, it's a little dangerous. It's like you know, what would you do if you won the lottery? Well, mm-hmm. you know, first you got to play the lottery in order to win the lottery. Mm. It's like if I want to get characters onto the big screen then i need to start writing for the big screen and and need to assert myself which is something that you know is 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 likely to happen in the future but isn't happening right now so um but yeah i would love to do i'd love to do something with tilda and and i think that beyond her you know i mean i never thought i was going to live to see a a live action luke cage Mm -hmm. and now that i've seen it it's like Okay. Yep. This is good. I, I don't necessarily need to do anything because someone else is doing it. You know, Cheo Coker and the entire team that did season one of Luke Cage. I can't say that I c- could have done anything better. You know, so I, I'm I'm content. You know, I'm 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 happy. Um, you know, if something comes along, I, I'd love to. I, I really wanted to do a Shaft TV series, and and they're doing a new Shaft movie, which is is reported to be a comedy. Mm. I think that's a huge mistake. I think that the the you know there's some talented people that are involved in that movie that have been announced. I don't think a single one of them is right for it. Mm. And 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 I, I'll throw down the gauntlet and say that I'm 
99.9% sure that whatever movie they make, I could, I would be able to make a better movie. And, 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 and I believe like, you. yeah, I believe it too. Like your shaft <laughs> comics are proof enough. Those are yeah, amazing. And, and, and I, and I actually get, I get pretty agitated when it's like the, the people that are involved in the making of the movie. And it's like, yeah, you, you're, you know, I, I have nothing positive to say about them. So I, I, I publicly won't say anything other than the fact that, that I know emphatically I'd be able to do something better. <laughs> and, and not only do I know if the, the, the tidy state who I'm in contact with on a regular basis knows it too. And they're like, yeah, we, you know, we really wish you were um, involved in this because you, you actually get the character and that's the frustrating yeah. thing, but you know, life goes on. <laughs> That's still a good attitude. <laughs> <laughs> One day. Um, yeah, I, my biggest question, uh, at least for, for this round, what do you, in your head, what does the comics industry need more of right now? Uh, it, it needs more readers. <laughs> it, needs, <laughs> it, needs more, it, it needs more people buying and supporting comics. It needs more retailers that are, uh, that are actually working at developing and growing the the industry as a whole and not individual publishers mm. or things that that just that only they like you know um and 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 it and it definitely needs um more critical voices that are um that are that are not just looking at comics from a fan standpoint um you know you know, yay Team Marvel or or yay Team DC. It's looking at comics and going, okay, what what is this medium capable of, and really talking about it intelligently. Uh, but we don't even we don't have that in film that much anymore, or or in television. There's not a lot of really good strong critical voices. There's there isn't like a Pauline Kael anymore, mm. or or like Jules Pfeiffer who is writing incredible comics criticisms while creating comics. You know, so. Mm. Um, that's, I think that that's, I think it's, it, there's, it, it's, we just need growth. Um, and, and we need, uh, open-minded approaches to both how we create stuff, how stuff is sold and how stuff is, is, um, consumed. And, and that's the thing. I, I think that the, the comics industry is competing with a lot of other stuff right now. And, and it's like, you, comics can't compete with films or video games or TV simply can't. So don't try. Just concentrate on making the best comics that you can make, and and making them accessible to 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 readers. You know, it's like I can't tell you how often I talk to people that are like, oh, you know, I love to buy your comics. I just don't know where to get them. And it's like, well, you know, it's part of me wants to go. You go to your local comic book store, but then I realize that not every city or every state has a lot of local comic book stores, and a lot of them aren't well stocked. And and so then what do you do? How, how do you find that stuff? So um, I think the industry is is definitely in need of some uh, rethinking of a lot of the strategies. I mean, when I was a kid, you could buy a comic book at the grocery store, at the gas station, at the drugstore, at the newspaper stand, a lot of places you could buy comic books. Now you can pretty much only buy them one place or two. You buy them on the Internet or you go into a, a local comic shop. So. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Matt? Sorry, no, that, was a, that was an awesome answer. I just yeah, no, it was, a, it was a great <laughs> answer. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to like move on from it so fast. I, I'm just like, that was 
I couldn't have said anything better or added anything to that that you didn't say. That was fantastic. Uh, yeah. I, uh, all right. I'll, uh, so when when uh, when we were going down the rabbit hole of researching all the books you've read, uh, I kind of had a little bit of a spaz fanboy moment when I saw that you had written a sequel to The Island of Dr. Moreau, <laughs> uh, which is hands down one of my favorite books that I remember reading ever since I was five years old. So yeah. what? Where did that come from? I mean, what an awesome idea! Yeah, thank you. Uh, I guess it's kind of like you. I, you know, I had a ton of books when I was a kid that my mom got. Like you know, I remember it was like it, whatever the five and dime store was back in those days, Woolworths or whatever they. Um, but I had, you know, um, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, and Frankenstein, and the. Island of Dr. Moreau and, and um, War of the Worlds. I had all those those sort of classic sci-fi horror books um, that that every kid should have yeah. and was fascinated with all that stuff. But as I really loved The Island of Dr. Moreau. I loved the book. Um, the mo- They made a movie in 1977, which was okay, with Michael York and Burt Lancaster. That's all right. But um, – but I just I love that story. I love that concept. And at the same time, I really loved as a kid Abbott and Costello movies. Mm-hmm. And and I my favorite Abbott and Costello movie is Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, uh-huh. um, which I probably watch three four times a year. And and there was part of me that was always like, you know, wouldn't it have been cool if if Abbott and Costello went to the island of Doctor Moreau? Oh, nice. And 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 that's sort of where the army of Doctor Moreau came from. Was like. It obviously morphed a lot because it's it's not Abbott and Costello, sure. but it was that idea of like what would a, what would Abbott and Costello what would have brought them to the island of Doctor Moreau, um, and and I was just it was an idea that popped in my head, and you know and then um, Alan Moore did the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and and I was fascinated with what he some of the things that he did over the over the course of that series and and. So that was sort of an inspiration much later in life. And it was like, you know, he did some interesting stuff. What could I do? And and then one day I was like, I just want to do this comic. And it, and it from there it took several years. I mean, I, I think I went through three different – three or four different artists before one finally like actually started to turn in the work and, and – um, you know, it's and it's one of those things that not that many people have read. So it, it sort of is that – that pet project of mine that I actually got off the ground and completed. And, and, um, I think 30 people read it, you know, and, and of those 30 people, five of them were related to me by blood. So, um, right, 31 uh, now, 31. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, it was fun. And I, I actually just had a meeting down in LA with, with my manager and, it was it like it just came up in passing that project and he was like why aren't you doing anything with it and i was like i don't know and he was like well let's take a look at it let's see if we can try to sell it and i was like hey man if you think you can sell it you know whatever to into another medium that's fine so you know i i own all the rights to it but yeah it was just it was one of those things where as with planet of the apes and and a lot of this other stuff that i've done a lot of it was just it was it started with this childhood fascination um you know, and 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 I was always into that sort of stuff. You know, I was I was that kid who read, you know, either the you know the original books 
or sometimes mm-hmm. I would read like the classics illustrated version of something like, you know, I, I have yet to actually read the original uh, Melville's original Moby Dick, but I've probably read every single comic version of Moby Dick that's been published, you know, so um, probably a better way to do it, too. Yeah, that's what everybody says. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know that there's a there's a guy w- with a, a wooden leg and a giant whale, and that's about all I need to know, you know. Yeah. So it has to do with obsession, man versus <laughs> nature, and man versus himself, and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, cool, right on, Rach. Um, I have a lot that I want to ask, so I'm just kind of filtering in my brain right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to bring you on uh, another time because, A, I, I probably <laughs> hogged too much, and, and B, yeah, I'm sure we've got tons more questions for another time. Um, um, who's your favorite comic book villain, and would you want to write a story about them? Uh, my favorite comic book villain is... Yeah, I, that's a, that's a, actually a really good question. I think well, one of them, we'll say one of them, is, is Doctor Doom for sure. Yeah. Um, and and I would love to do something with Doctor Doom, and and uh, I, I don't know what I would do exactly, but I would. Uh, to me, it's this exploration of that. Like in his mind, he's not the villain. You know, he's 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 the hero of his narrative, and I think that that's a really fascinating approach to take. Um, and, and then maybe the other one is like I'm pretty obsessed with. Um, I mean, I think the greatest villain in pop culture, one of them is is Mojo Jojo from Powerpuff <laughs> <Yes>. Girls. <laughs> and, um, yes. So I, I would I could see myself you know doing something with Mojo Jojo that would be pretty fun. Um, I'm not quite sure what it would be yet, but, but that's such a fascinating character. And I tell people that and they they look at me like I'm nuts. And then I always say, you know, did you ever see the, the final episode of the Powerpuff Girls when Mojo Jojo finally defeats them? And inevitably most people have never seen it. And I'm like, that says it all. It's, it's the, it's the, the single, one of the single greatest episodes of an animated series ever. So, um, Yeah. Yeah, I Mojo Jojo agree. meets Doctor Doom. That would be a crossover. Oh yeah, do that. I'll I'll read it. I'll buy all. Of them. <laughs> that sounds like a fan fiction webcomic if I've ever heard one. Yeah, now the wheels are turning. Actually, I might have to do something with that. <laughs> right on. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll ask kind of the last lightning round question. And then there's one one quick thing I, I wanted to touch on because we'd be remiss if we didn't. Um, but uh, the last little question I'll ask you is which character that you've written thus far have you most identified with? Oh, that's a good, that's another really good one. Um, I think the one that I most identify with is, uh, even though it wasn't intentional, it's, 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 it's definitely turning into Tilda Johnson. You know, <laughs> um, I knew it. It, 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 it <laughs> there's there's something about her and and i think it's just the fact that um she's you know i I just see her as as representative of all of all the people in the world who are misunderstood Mm. and and who are actually capable of 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 greatness but um because of the circumstances of their lives aren't allowed to be great that was what was fascinating to me as her, her as a character was it's clearly that's what she was even though 
the people who created her and created her that way weren't writing her that way. It was like it was like this ultimate oxymoron. And um, and I'm just I, I'm 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 in love with her and not in like some sort of bizarre sexual way, but just like she's just a really fun and interesting character. And and it's like um, I think of all the characters I, I've written, she's the one I'd like to hang out with the most and have like Sunday brunch with. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I think that it's her. And then after her would probably be yeah, I don't even know who it would be after that. Um, there's a little bit of, of of me in all the characters that I write. I mean, there's there's you know for better or worse, you know, you pour a lot of your own neuroses and your a lot of your own um, egomania into them. Mm. And 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 then then we just see sort of what happens after that. That's awesome. I love it. I love it so much. Um, so the the last thing we'll talk about because it's it's coming up here pretty quick. I can't remember the exact release date, but when does Superb come out? Superb comes out uh, July nineteenth. Preview night at at San Diego Comic Con. Oh hell yeah! Uh, yeah. How so? You know, obviously, like the the sort of concept of the world's you know first uh down syndrome or superhero with down syndrome how do you approach writing material like that i mean how do you how do you sort of get into that and where did that project come from uh the project came uh it's a lion forge book it's part of their catalyst prime universe and and so all the character the, all the main characters were already in place when when i got approached to co-write that book with with sheena howard with dr sheena howard so mm. um and and that was the the main thing that drew me in was when they said well yeah it's, it's about two teenage superheroes one's a uh, a black girl and the other's a, a boy with with down syndrome and i was like yep sign me up yeah, hell yeah. and and you know and so for me that came from um Part of it was the fear of writing a character that way because I knew there was going to be inherent challenges with it. Yeah. But I was like, okay, let's here's a here's a character that will represent a cross section of people who don't get to see very often don't get to see positive representations of themselves, and and um, and through pop culture are are usually maligned, made the butt of a joke. Or, um, or at the very least, just aren't represented as full, fully rounded human beings. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, there's only so much you can do in a comic, but you can you can actually do a hell of a lot. And I was like, let's just see what we can pull off here. And and I had had an experience several years back uh, where I was doing um, doing some work. I was teaching uh, co teaching a, a, these storytelling workshops for kids that were in grief counseling, uh, kids between the ages of 12 and 16 who either lost like a parent or a sibling or a friend or whatever. And, and one of the kids that I was working with was a, was a young girl with autism. And like, I was actually, she scared the hell out of me when I first met her because I was like, Oh my God, you know, I didn't know anything about autism. I didn't know about kids with, with, you know, on on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. I just knew that, um, that I was told beforehand that she had, you know, a lot of problems communicating and, and that sometimes she was difficult to work with. And that scared me because I, I don't work with kids regularly. I just sort of do little volunteer things like this. 
but she turned out to be like the, the one of the coolest human beings I've ever met in my life. And she, she did have, you know, some challenges in how she communicated and how she processed things, but she, it wasn't like she was ignorant and it wasn't like she was, you know, a completely incapable human being. It was just like, she had different ways of communicating and processing things as we all do. And it was a question of finding how to best communicate with her, how to best, um, help her process stuff. And, and, in the, and, and during that, like it, it brought out the best in me, but it also was like, I saw so much potential and, you know, that was like three, four years ago. And I, I met her mom and her grandparents and, and all of her other counselors and, and just had so much fun working with her. And so when superb came up through lion forge, I was, I thought about this this girl, and I was like, in my experiences in working with her, and my experiences in in how many times she surprised me um, with how she articulated herself and how she expressed her ideas. And I was like, okay, if I can just, all I have to do is keep in mind this young girl um, who, and I, I've actually talked to her since then, and she knows about Superb, and she's all excited about it. Cool. And and the one thing she asks is that I don't tell people her name because she she doesn't want to be famous. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, and but uh, you know, I, I I kept going back to if I can if I can instill Jonah with just half the qualities that this this young girl had has, mm-hmm. um, and and get readers to understand that that just because he has Down syndrome doesn't mean he's not a human being like he's he's a human being first and foremost down syndrome is 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 um is a diagnosis or a label or it's it's a bunch of different things it's an identifier but it doesn't it doesn't take away from who you are as a human being it just is one more facet of it and that's what i wanted to instill with with this character and that's what i'm pushing for and it's it's kind of scary you know because we we keep talking about it at Lion Forge, and and they partnered with the National Down Syndrome Society, and and I've talked to people there, and I've said, you know, like this character is doesn't represent every single person with Down syndrome, and and it's like, like I know that, you know that, we all know that, but that's what's going to happen, and 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 there's a there's an indie comic I can't remember the title of it off the top of my head, but it was created by a guy whose son has Down syndrome, and so he created a superhero with down syndrome. And, and that's mm. technically my understanding is that's actually the first superhero. Oh, interesting. Um, um, but it's, you know, it's an indie book and, and it, it, of course it's driving me crazy that I can't remember the title of it. Um, uh, I need to, and I need to get better about that so I can point people in the direction. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a fun little comic and, you know, and he did it for his son and, yeah, that's um, awesome. but, but that's the thing. It's, it's just, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that uh, everybody, deserves to have some semblance of representation it's not it's not always going to be totally true to who we are or what we are but at least it speaks to something some of the things that make us unique and and the things that make each of us unique does not make us any less human although some people choose to use those labels to um to 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 deprive us or try to deprive us of our humanity um, but, but I'm a firm believer that that's not something that, that can actually be taken away from us. It, the, the, there's the illusion that it's being taken away, but, um, but it's 
ultimately it's ours to to give up or to reassert. Mm. That's that's incredible. I like I every time you say something like and, and you go on those explanations like that, I'm like, holy shit! Like that's so awesome. Like just articulating it so well, I'm like, I don't know what to say to that. I don't I don't know how to respond. Um, <laughs> I did. By that's, the way, well, you could you you could respond like some people do and just yell at me and tell me I'm an idiot, which is you know that's <laughs> fine. That happens too. So, so that's what some people tend uh, to choose to do when they don't understand something. Uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> um, I, I think it was that comic uh, that you were referring to. Is it uh, Metaphase by Chip Reese and uh, Kelly Williams? Yes, I uh, do believe that is it. Cool. Um, I do believe that is it. Awesome. And uh, anyway, David, you, like you've been super generous with time. Sorry for uh, for keeping you so long, but uh, it was super awesome to talk to you. We definitely have to get you on again sometime soon. Obviously, with uh, projects you have down the road, and then just to kind of dig in deeper with some of the. Uh, some of the origin and some of the previous works uh, that you've had. Um, but let's uh, let the people know, where can they find you online on Twitter and all those things? Uh, Twitter is, uh, is David Walker 1201. And then uh, Facebook, I've, I've got my regular page, but um, like I'm running out of space. Cause you know, you can only <laughs> have so many friends. Got to have uh, a fan page have, now, I, man. I, I do have one. I do have a, a okay. writer's page. I think that it's. I think it's just David F. Walker writer or David Walker writer or something mm. like that. On cool. uh, uh, you, you, you can find me there. I'm on, I'm on Facebook, and if, if if people send me a friend request these days, I I, I don't check it that often. And it's also like, uh, you know, I'm to the point where I get these friend requests from people, and it's like you have 300 mutual friends, and and. I don't know any of these 300 people. Sorry. You know, it's like, uh, it, it's, it's it, the fan page is, is just as good as any, anything else. And, cool. and none of my websites, I have like 500 different websites. I haven't updated any of them. The guy that I, um, paid to do that hasn't actually gotten around to it. So I'll probably have to call him and yell at him tomorrow. So, <laughs> yeah, I um, know. I was, when I was like researching stuff, I, I looked at your website and I was like, wait a minute, 2013, what the hell? But it was, it was yeah. funny. I, I still found it. You got stuff out there. Your Twitter and all your social media stuff is up to date. Yeah, it's just it's it's, it's difficult, and and that stuff becomes so much of a time suck that oh, you yeah. don't actually get the work done that you need to get done. Of and, course. And and I'm not good at that balance. I need to get I need to get better at <laughs> it. But if it comes down to meeting a deadline. Yeah, or updating a blog, you you better meet your damn deadline. You know, I think I speak for all readers when I say we would probably prefer to keep getting David Walker comics over a David Walker website. So, I think you're exactly you're in the clear. <laughs> um, and for for all the listeners out there, make sure that uh, you know if if you're curious about some of these comics that we've mentioned that you might not have heard of before, make sure you go out to you know Amazon, uh, Comicsology, InStockTrades.com, wherever you get your comics. Search for David Walker and check out some of the uh, some of the books that he's had because there's some some kick-ass stuff in there. Especially like seriously, Shaft. Your both runs on Shaft like might have been some of the best comics I've read in in freaking years. Like so good. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. That actually means a lot because I, because I, I feel I love those books and I, you know, um, sales on them were never quite what we wanted, and unfortunately because of that, you know, there hasn't been anything else. But I really would love to uh, to do some more with those with those books. So we'll see. Maybe yeah. one of these days. Maybe if the yeah, if the trades, if the sort of like you know back issue and trade and whatever sales start to to go up, maybe they'll be like, wait a minute, there's something here, and then Dynamite will give you a call and offer you all the money for it. 
That would be fantabulous <laughs> if that happened. All right. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna push Army of Doctor Moreau so I can hopefully get the. Uh, the uh, I've just made this up in my head, but my 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 anticipated David Walker, uh, Food of the Gods, John Carter crossover novel. Wow. Okay, <laughs> you just blown my mind. Um, I may have to. That's yeah. That that. Wow. You're more demented than I am, but that's pretty yes. good. John hey, Carter you know? and Food of the Gods. Wow. My I, when I tell my cousin that. He's going to go absolutely bananas over that one because those are like, yeah, I got, I haven't even thought of Food of the Gods in forever. So um, that's awesome. That's funny. I think, I think we found like uh, somebody, like you seem to be somebody who is like kind of on the same wavelength as Matt on a lot of things. It's kind of funny. There's always like those <laughs> random things that Matt will bring up that Rachel and I are just blank faced on, no idea what he's talking about. Um, that's funny. Anyway, I, I will yeah. throw out that I absolutely loved um, the Tarzan and Planet of the Apes crossover. That That's my kind of stuff. I grew <laughs> yeah, up totally. with Tarzan and Planet of the Apes, so that was incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, Tim and I had a great time on that one, and uh, and people responded well to it, so that's a good thing. Hell yeah. This is just this has been like the heap uh, praise on David Walker segment of the show that, uh, you know, we just made <laughs> sure we had to get it in there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm. I, I take it where I can get it. I appreciate it. So, thank you. Awesome. Uh, and then for the listeners, uh, you can find us every Thursday and uh, occasionally on Mondays as well. Uh, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Savage Land Pod. Everything else at Savage Land Podcast. Leave your ratings and reviews as always. Um, and uh, tune in again either Monday or Thursday, whenever the next episode is. Uh, but thanks for listening to the Savage Land. Cheers. Mm-hmm.